Hello, everybody. Happy Friday morning, and welcome to the Kaiser Education Series. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm a human performance and education specialist at Kaiser. I'll be moderating today's panel alongside my teammate, Mike Compton. Today's discussion is centered around the topic of long-term athletic development. In today's youth sports model, there is a philosophical tug-of-war happening, pulling some athletes in the direction of early sports specialization and intensive travel teams versus multi-sport encouragement and practitioners that value a commitment to long-term athletic development. Our two panelists joining us today are leaders in the field of long-term athletic development and are committed to the betterment of the youth sports athletic model. Our first panelist is Jeremy Frisch. Jeremy is the owner and director of Achieve Performance Training in Clinton, Massachusetts. He's a former strength conditioning coach at Holy Cross, working directly with men's basketball, as well as a number of other Crusader athletic programs. His various experiences include serving as a sports performance director at Teamwork Sports Center, the speed and strength coach for Athletes Edge Sports Training, and completing a strength conditioning internship at Stanford University. He's a health and science graduate of Worcester State College, where he completed or where he competed as a member of the football and track programs. Our second panelist is Lee Tapp. He's the founder and owner of Lee Taft Athletic Consulting and is highly respected as one of the top athletic movement specialists in the world. In the last 30 years, he has devoted the majority of his time training multidirectional speed to all ages and abilities, as well as top performance coaches and fitness professionals globally. He has spoken at countless strength conditioning and sports performance events and has produced a number of instructional videos, ebooks, and courses in the area of multidirectional speed and movement training. My first Lee Taft in-person experience exposure was in Fleurville, uh, just north of Austin <laughs> yeah. for, uh, you remember that Lee? Yeah. Uh, for, uh, for red line. That's right. Red, red line. line athletics, um, yeah. with, with D may then, uh, I enjoyed that one so much and I can remember it so vividly. It feels like not that long ago. So, uh, cool to, you know, be back here yeah. with you today. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, uh, before we begin, for more info on Jeremy, you can visit achieveperformance.training. And for more info on Lee, you can visit leetaft.com. We'll be sure to include both of their social medias at the end and in the published episode. So, all right, Jeremy and Lee, thank you for both being here with us on Friday morning. Jeremy, I'll start with you. How are things going in Massachusetts? What is the schedule at Achieve Performance looking like right now? Well, it's uh, almost uh, end of uh, fall sports season. So we're going to be kicking into, uh, you know, kicking into the winter. So, um, all the young kids that uh, were playing flag football or, you know, fall baseball and all that stuff, they're all going to be joining our, uh, you know, whether it's our athletic development program or our, our younger kids speed demons program, um, you know, we'll have those athletes coming in as well as our high school athletes just getting finished with football, soccer, things like that. Um, those athletes will be starting up, uh, starting up pretty soon. So it's kind of like, um, you know, once uh, Thanksgiving day football game is over, that Monday we start getting plenty of kids trickling in to our, uh, to the gym. Um, and I probably started my younger kids program probably two weeks ago. So it seems like every day I got a new, a new kid joining, joining us. So, um, you know, that, that class is pretty fluid. So a kid can jump in almost any time and just, you know, it's really about, Hey, here, go do this, go do that. Let's try this. Let's try that. Um, and so, so that, uh, pretty much from now until, Little League starts, we'll be going uh, all out every day with our, our youth programs. All right. Good to hear. And Lee, basketball season is here and rolling. I know you're heavily involved in hoops. What have you been busy with? Yep. So I took over a, a boys high school basketball program here, pretty close to where we live. And uh, 
part of the reason I got involved was because, you know, we throw this word culture around a lot, but because I wanted to see a better culture. I wanted the boys to understand what it's like to be committed and, and what, what commitment means actually, and what responsibility to somebody else aside from yourself means. And, and we're having growing pains because of that. But any program I've ever coached, we usually say it takes by the third year because you got to get, you got to get people through the program. You got to get parents to understand when they're, they're, their little, their little baby gets yelled at and gets told you can't play tonight because you skipped practice or you're no longer on the program because you didn't tell him, you know, things like that. So that's what we're dealing with now. But we're also trying to teach them, um, you know, a lot about athleticism and, and, you know, how we develop better as a, as a, as a human being, like physically and stuff, you know, not just the skills of basketball, which is obviously critical at the high school level, but got to be an athlete as well. So we're having fun with that. So yeah, it's been good. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear it and, and happy to have the both of you on. Thanks for making the time. So we'll get right to it. And we're going to begin with Jeremy here. How do you define long-term athletic development and why is it important? You know what? In my view of, of long-term athletic development is so funny. I was going to post something like this. I, I probably read your question the other day and then it was like stuck in my head and I was going to like post something about it like on Twitter. And I, I realized that you had written me this exact question, but you know, for me, it's just long-term athletic development is being able to provide the athlete the right environment at the right time. You know, that's kind of really where where I uh, kind of the way I look at, um, you know, athletic develop, youth athletic development and long-term athletic development. Like, you know, I, I, I sort of, um, you know, try to do all the body weight training and, the, and the, all the, uh, you know, the, all the stuff that you probably see me do you know, on Twitter with the young kids, I try to do that stuff as long as I can um, with those athletes and then make this slow transition to more organized in like, you know, weight room type training. I've obviously strength training is great for children. Um, but I think that there's a big piece missing like the phys ed type stuff, the crawling and the climbing and the parkour and the wrestling and the gymnastics. Um, I think there's a, I think there's some coaches that read research that say like, oh, strength training is great for kids. And they're in a rush to put a barbell in their hands right away. When the reality is, is there's so many other things that you can do that are way more integrated when they're younger. Um, so, you know, the way I look at it is like, I want the kids to do the right things at the right time, you know, and then as the kids get older and they change and they get more mature, then you can add in more organized type training um, because they're really going to do that type of stuff for the rest of their life. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how I look at um, long-term athletic development is really just providing a young athlete with the right environment at the right time. Yeah. We're excited to learn a little bit more too, about like how you got to that type of training. And obviously if you, if anyone's followed Jeremy on social media, like you've definitely seen a lot of that crawling and, and a lot of fun environments that he's been able to put uh, young athletes in and, and athletes of all types. So we're excited to learn a little bit more about that. But I think that's the first time I've heard a definition like that. And I really like that one. So, so thanks for sharing that. And Lee, how about yourself? How would you define long-term athletic development and why is it important? Yeah. First of all, you know, it's hard to add to what, you know, Jeremy just said, because that's really the nuts and bolts of it. And, um, you know, and, and one thing I've always liked about what Jeremy does, whether he does it intentionally or just it's, in, you know, intuitive for him is he's a master at developing coordination in kids and coordination is the foundation of long-term athletic development. That's what allows us to do the more advanced type of skills and the different types of training that we might want to do. So that's really important. But I also think um, that's what we are as humans is we don't go from birth to shooting a jump shot in a week. 
right? We, we have long-term development, whether it's athletic or human development. So I was fortunate enough to grow up at a really, really cool time, you know, during the seventies where, um, you know, we, we did a ton, you know, Jeremy mentioned gymnastics, like my dad, who was a phys ed teacher forever, was huge in teaching us gymnastics and stuff. And so we did that. We did climbing. We did a lot. That was phys ed. That was a lot of what we did. Um, you know, there was never a rush. I was fortunate enough to play four sports in high school because we could at, at the school I was at. All my friends did. We, we, we played. And it was just you moved from one sport to the next to the next. You never worried about, you know, uh, you know, just quick results. It was just like, hey, we, you know, we play next year and we play next season. You just keep moving along the process. And then all of a sudden things started to change. And I'm sure we'll dive into that stuff. But long term athletic development is what we are. That's what we do. If we allow the process to occur and we just feed it. That's what we should be doing anyway. That's normal. That's like learning. It's not quick learning in school of math. It's a long-term development of the process of learning math. Athleticism is no different. Yeah, absolutely. I remember, at least for me growing up, a lot of my Sunday mornings were going to gymnastics. And it seemed like anecdotally that kind of disappeared with a lot of kids. But uh, I still work with a lot of parents now and, and younger kids uh, in the Chicagoland area. And uh, I'm definitely starting to see that reappear for sure. Yeah. Well, also, and not to keep it going, but uh, what, like what happened to teaching throwing, kicking with each arm as a young person? That's that's a developmental skill set. It isn't a specific skill set, right? That's uh, eventually if I'm going to be a pitcher, yeah, I got to choose what arm am I going to throw with, right? I'm a righty, so it makes no sense to throw. But when you're in physical education or you're in Jeremy's uh, youth development program, throwing a ball at an X taped on a wall with your non-dominant hand is long-term development because it's developing a, a skill set or an ability. And we just have lost that. Now we're going specifically to the high-level skills and we've skipped all these, these fine and gross motor developmental skills. And, and it's showing up too showing up as we go. We're seeing not a diverse athlete. We're seeing a very specific athlete and, and it has long-term detrimental effects. Yeah. So Lee, going right back to you on that, uh, what do you consider some of the common limitations of the youth sports model that innately focuses on early sports specialization? I know you've been pretty vocal about that, at least on social media and, and educating with the people you talk to, but things such as AU uh, can some of these limitations be harmful to long-term athletic development, just like you were saying? It sure can. And we, we for a little bit, we got to talk outside of the athletic part of it, because emotionally, socially, um, certainly physically, um, uh, developmental uh, behaviors of communicating with other kids and other teammates and other peers is really important. And the specialization model puts you in a little cubicle and you deal with that coach usually and you deal with that group of teammates and you you deal with that skill set consistently over time. And it not only has a physical limitation for young developing bodies and young developing nervous systems that's really thirsty for, for um, adventure and solving of problems, 
they don't get that. And we talk about windows of opportunity and stuff like that, you know, whatever that means, you know, we could obviously dive deeper into that, but we miss opportunities for kids to have that physical growth by not specializing, but also the emotional growth and the mental growth of learning different challenges and learning different coaching styles because now I have a brand new coach in my new sport this season versus staying nine, 10 months with the same coach. So that in the long term, to me, is as much of the issue of burnout as we say the peak is right around 13, 14 years old. They just, they don't make it to high school, a lot of these kids, because they just had enough. And it's not that they couldn't handle it physically, anymore emotionally it, it now becomes a chore and a job young kids aren't designed to decipher those stresses and those pressures okay we can handle that we know tomorrow the sun will rise they don't and that's why unfortunately we're seeing anxiety depression and unfortunately suicide with young kids who are being boxed up and they can't express themselves because they don't have the tools yet so this is a lot deeper than you know, me being able to kick a ball, throw a ball, then hit with a tennis racket and change sports. Yeah, that's really important. It's a lot deeper than that. And until we start to get parents and coaches and, and young people to understand that, we're going to keep walking into this wall. We got to get, we got to break the wall down and realize it's bigger than that. And that's why I said, when I grew up in the 70s, I didn't know what AAU was. I never even heard of it until I think I got to like a senior in high school. Then somebody played some AAU team. I didn't know what it was because we did everything. So yeah, so that's uh, this could be a five-hour conversation easily. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. and what I like I, uh, about – go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry, I was just going to say we're seeing the same thing too like uh, in school as well is that we, yeah. we, you know, we boxed in kids in the classroom all day as, yeah. you know, as a student. Uh, they think that reading more, you know, more classroom work is going to create a better student in the long term, not realizing that like movement is innately connected to the brain, right? And so – kids learn better by being able to move around more, even just something simple as going out for recess for 10 minutes can allow them to um, retain more information when they're in a classroom. But it's almost like we're specializing in school now. Like we're just trying to make these, make the kids, um, you know, you know, good readers and good listeners and good writers and, and totally forgetting that, that the body is part of them. You know, the, the body plays a huge role in, um, in learning, you know, so uh, we have, we have, you know, Mike's in my, my, my uh, youngest is in fourth grade. And I think they have phys ed like once every seven or eight days. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, we had it three days a week, at least. And on top of that, we had recess a couple of days a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we had those breaks between, between, um, you know, between classes where we could, you know, let off some steam, let off some anxiety, you know, say you had a class that you didn't like, or you weren't very good at, you know, you got to kind of, let off some steam and run around and then come back in later on. And, and so I think those breaks are really important. Um, not only from, uh, for, you know, mentally and emotionally, but then think about on top of that, a young kid, how much movement you actually get and how, how you naturally develop coordination by chasing your buddies around playing, being out in the playground, climbing on things like, so it's all connected, you know, that's why I always say like all these years we spent with my kids, like when I took them to the playground every day and we did this, like those things all, Obviously, they had fun, but those things have turned into helping their athletic development way down the line. Absolutely. And, and Long, Longenborough University did a study on that. 
They had 19 countries that they studied that very thing. They reduced 25% of sit-down time in a classroom and they added in movement. 18 of the 19 showed a drastic improvement. One country didn't, and it was Germany. It stayed the same, but they said they already had a lot of movement built into their day anyway. So it was proven that, that it, the kids and their academics rose drastically. And we're seeing other countries now take on that model. And I spent time um, at, at one of the, the top country in the world right now academically. I sat down with a principal over there and I did a workshop there and they said, we finally understood now what learning is. And we threw out our great big thick standards book. <coughs> we made it more about the kids. It was kid centric. And that's what we're seeing now. So yeah, that's a great topic. Yeah, I was actually in the airport yesterday. I was coming back uh, from a trip and I should have taken a photo of it, but I was walking by one of the gates or on the way to the gate and there was a playground set up in the airport and it was, it was over, it was in London, you know, it was in, in the UK um, and there was a lot of kids playing on it. Uh, and I remember just like having a moment of stopping and looking over there. I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool that they have that. And then to have this conversation this morning, um, I like to hear that. So uh, what I also really enjoyed was just the perspective for both of you, you know, having the skills and abilities that you have on the developmental side physically, but then also a deep appreciation for the psychosocial aspect and, and, and that development and, and the importance of it. And Lee, you mentioned some very real issues in our country uh, that could be, you know, it, it could help to to have a, some sort of dedication to physical development and, and have a real uh, positive impact on those things. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm going to kick it over to Mike here for a question. Thanks, Gabe. Um, we're going to stick along the lines of like playing movement uh, outside of that, you know, being specific. And, and Jeremy, you touched on it a little bit during your original talk on what long-term athletic development is. Um, a lot of your posts are, hey, with youth athletes running and jumping into mats, using different instrument devices and being allowed opportunities to problem solve in those open, shame, chaotic environments. If you could elaborate a little bit more in detail, like how, how did you get into that approach? I mean, when I watched the videos, it made me want to go out and, you know, do something similar. And are you continuing similar trends as your athletes get older um it's just progressing in maybe different movements so yeah so i had a really great phys ed teacher when i was a kid and we did uh he you know actually had two of them one of them was a football coach and a track coach and the other the other one was a kind of classical gymnast and sort of got into track and field later on so when i was very young we were you know our, in our classes we were exposed to you know doing you know, putting uh, two two ropes down and doing things like long jump. And we had gymnastics mats where we taught us how to roll. And, and you know, we played lots of games like, you know, my my uh, my my old gym teacher used to tell us that tag was one of the, you know, not only was it fun, but it was just such a great game to to be able, be able to uh, develop the skills because he was a football guy to develop the skills to tackle. So that's all he was really thinking about was, was you know, in 10 years, I'm going to have these third graders and they're going to be playing football for me. And so I'm going to start to implement these things now. But um, but really, it came from from being exposed to those things when I was a kid and then being at home. I was the youngest of five boys. And so we used to literally set up like high jump pits in my upstairs house with mattresses and a stick 
And, you know, I used to go to my brother's track meets and, you know, see hurdles and things like that. And I'd set up with the lawn chairs, I'd set up hurdle races and obstacle courses for myself. And, and some of the kids in the, in the neighborhood would do that stuff. So really I grew up with it. And, and I, uh, you know, then later on, obviously as an athlete got into strength and conditioning and that stuff. And that was really like my passion for a while. But then when I started to have children, I went back and started reading like, you know, what can I do with my kids? as they get older and I started reading, you know, different gymnastics and phys ed books and, and things like that. And, um, you know, that's where I really started taking a deep dive. And, uh, I started to basically everything I learned and saw, I started to just basically use my kids as Guinea pigs and implement those things on them. And, uh, that's kind of how my youth program started with, with, with my oldest son. And then, you know, one of his friends came and another friend came and then my younger son joined in and, before you know it, you got, you know, you got 10, 12, 20 kids that are trying to join the program. Um, and then I just started sort of like that. I got a real kick out of it. So I started filming those things, uh, you know, when we were doing it, because I've never I didn't see anyone else doing those things at the time. Um, and so as the programs progressed and sort of taken on a little bit of structure, um, I've tried to take those things that we do with the younger athletes and sort of implement them with the older athletes almost in their warmups, you know? So if you have, if they have any developmental holes, um, you know, if I have a, maybe a eighth grader, a ninth grader, 10th grader, that's never learned how to do a forward roll or never learned how to crawl or never did any little type of climbing exercises, we'll put those things in, uh, in their warmup period with the idea that maybe we can provide them some sort of like a little bit more development to go on top of like the, you know, the typical strength conditioning things that they do. Um, the other thing is, is when I was, a, when I was, uh, a strength and conditioning coach in college, I started getting really bored. Like I really hated like the progressions, like, oh, we're going to do side planks for three weeks. And then we're going to add this for three weeks. Like I hate, I started getting really, cause you know, you're with these athletes all the time and you're with them for years and years and years. And I felt like, let's just have more fun in our warmups, you know, skipping and hopping and bouncing on one leg and let's start getting on the floor and instead of doing, you know, dead bugs and these traditional like progressions, let's do rolling and let's, you know, let's mix it up every day and let's challenge you guys and let you guys take over sometime and let's try this or, you know, and I feel like it made training for training the athletes, you know, it was a lot less monotonous for me and it was a lot more fun for them um, because some days like they were coming in after a two hour practice, you know, they just ran, you know, there's one day the, look girls across team ran you know 21 tens and and the last thing those guys want to do especially after practice after running those and being at a very highly academic school that's the last i'm the last guy they want to see literally the last guy they want to see but they have to go do that thing so i try to make their sessions a little bit more bearable and enjoyable so they would want to come in and do those things after you know after practice so and i know it's like the college level we got to be serious and train hard and you know, but they just did train hard. They just ran 21 tens. So let's take a step back and maybe do some, uh, you know, kind of lighten the mood a little bit, do some things they enjoy. And then, you know, we'll, we'll get in and do our, our strength training and things like that and, and go from there. So, yeah, I, I, I really started my childhood was a big part of it. And then obviously having children was a huge part of it that kind of set me in, set it all in motion and uh, kind of been just going from there. Love that. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, 
Jeremy, when you were speaking there, I think it's becoming more and more common. Mike and myself both have some experience in collegiate strength conditioning. I think you're seeing a lot more videos and just, you know, in conversations with colleagues, more and more strength conditioning coaches that have shifted towards that type of model, especially in the basketball world. Like you're already getting athletes that are so genetically gifted, yet Lee, you spoke about some of the AAU issues. You're seeing a lot of underdeveloped motor patterns. So I know for me, at least, I learned a lot from Coach Roos when he was at the University of Texas uh, and, and now at VCU. But one of the first things we did always was put the gymnastics mat or go find a gymnastics mat and get it in the weight room or get it, you know, courtside. So I uh, appreciate you sharing that. You bet. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing that definitely stuck out was your youth experience as a kid and, and how creative we are as kids just to have fun and move. And then for some reason, it just slowly dwindles away as we age. And, and Lee, from your perspective, in your videos that we see posted as well, you let athletes just be athletes and let external objects kind of and competition foster that intent. Could you touch on this and, and some of the techniques that you like to use with your athletes? Sure, yeah. I, I think that one of the main reasons I do that is I'm trying to find their innate underpinning as to why they move the way they do. That's my greatest assessment tool. Rather than a formal, you know, can you touch your toe? Can you, you know, raise your opposite leg? And can you do that stuff, which has value because that has, um, you know, mobility or neural drive, it, uh, you know, um, techniques that it can show us. But when I get an athlete to move based on a, you know, constraint or a restriction that I give them, maybe that they got to work around in that particular environment or give them a task that they have to go through using a particular, maybe a, a Z ball or a, which is like an agility ball or a low box I like to use and have kids uh, uh, manipulate different movements and stuff or very, like Jeremy talked about tag. Tag is one of the greatest activities to drive uh, all forms of movement and thought processes. And as we learn, and like the, the, the four of us, if we play tag often, within about a week to two weeks, we would know the types of move that each one of us go to, what's your go-to move. You know, Barry Sanders was going to Barry Sanders was going to do a glide step, right? He's going to hit that glide step and then he's going to shimmy out of that. You, you know it's coming. You're still not going to stop, but at least you know, you know it's coming so you don't look as bad. So those innate underpinnings that these kids show us, we can either look at that as a low-functioning pattern, not a dysfunctional, but low-functioning, or we can look at it as a high functioning pattern and we can embrace it and build upon that if it's a low functioning pattern and we continue to just continually see it through these innate movements that they just just randomly go to now we can start to say okay every time jeremy goes to his left he gets stuck a little bit but man he's quick off his right and mike has a hard time opening his hips going to his left or you know and and you know you know, Gabe's arm action gets him in trouble on acceleration. And we see it every time we add a new skill set. What a great way to assess. I mean, it really is because all we're not asking them to do anything but be themselves. And they're showing us. I've always said this. The nervous system drops clues. The problem is the way our industry or our profession is designed 
It's not designed to pick the clues up because we have protocols that we follow. And just like Jeremy said, let's do planks for three weeks and then we'll do planks and scratch our ear for three weeks. <laughs> and then we'll, you know, we, we follow that rather than saying, no, that's not what they're showing us. This is what they need because they keep showing us they lack strength or stability or mobility in this issue. Let's go get that because they're, they're dynamically showing us. So that's the reason I like to do that. And then the implement, sometimes I literally make the implement up that, that moment. I'm like, okay, let's try a PVC pipe and see if we can hold it up and drop it and see who can catch it before it hits that, something like that. You know, I mean, just random things that kind of keep me motivated, but also get the athletes involved. And a lot of times I let the athletes choose, what do we want to do today? What's the, what's the tool we're using today? So that, and that was a big tactic for me in phys ed when I was a phys ed teacher. I'm like, if the kids knew they had a little bit of uh, uh, involvement, in choosing what we're doing, they were the, the discipline problems went down, the excitement went up, and the involvement went up. I think that's fantastic. And I, Lee, correct me if I'm wrong. It like that buy-in factor is there now. So like letting the athlete kind of take ownership for picking an activity or an object, they're more suited to then follow suit the rest of the training session per se. Would you would you agree with that? hundred percent. And, and going back to what Jeremy said earlier about sitting in a classroom all day and being dictated to, we now have given them what their, their, their neural drive and their system wants. It's choice. It's, it's opportunity to, to have a, a voice and have a say. And so immediately that's like, why I don't have to sit here and listen and be told to be quiet. Why somebody lectures to me for three, four minutes on a drill I actually get to have a choice in what we're going to do, and, and that's it. And I think one of the greatest skills we can give these kids not only is, is giving them choice, but giving them uh, the ability to teach others. So when, when a kid can help their peer in a, in a like, uh, like, let's say, an exercise Jeremy has them do going over the mat, and the kid keeps struggling, and if their peers get to help them say, hey, plant your hands like this when you swing your leg over. Try that. What a valuable tool to improve esteem and, and motivation because now you're helping somebody else. That sometimes is more powerful than helping yourself. You know, it's interesting watching too, like Lee, you've probably seen this with younger kids. It's like if I put an implement out or some type of like activity, the different ways each kid approaches how to do that activity. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially like we do like vaults, you know, and so, you know, you might have a real athletic kid who can just launch his body right over. But then you have maybe a shorter kid who's trying to vaulting over this mat and he needs to put his foot up and then swing his under his under leg through. And you might have a kid who like just gets up and climbs over, you know, so they're all it's they're all at different levels of development. And so they're all trying to problem solve at the same time. And they're all trying to problem solve in their own their own way. You know what I mean? And so. <clears throat> you can see the different levels of development. And then over time, if you work with the, those kids enough, you see them progress and as their body grows and they get a little bit stronger and more mature and things like that. So that's one of my favorite things just to sit and watch. And I'm just like, I'll put something out for them to do and all the different ways they try to, they come up with doing those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Jeremy, I imagine you also see with that, that level of buy-in, right? With, with the athletes when they're able to decide and pick things as well. Oh, all the time. And especially like, oh, I mean, every day it's like, can we do this that we did then? You know what I mean? Like, oh, remember that game we played last year? Like, can we do that game? There's always like something that they really love that they want to do. And so sometimes 
you know, I've had a session planned and then a kid comes in and is like one kid wanted to play tag. The other kid wanted to play, you know, do jumps over the mat. And then, so I'll be like, all right, so you want to do this, you do that. And then that's our session for the day. We hit all those things that each kid wanted to do. You know what I mean? So, you know, maybe we'll spend 10 minutes on each activity and then that, that equals out to 60 minutes. You know what I mean? And so every kid got the kind of to do something they liked, but they also did something the other kids liked as well which is nice. Um, and then uh, what, the other thing I was going to talk about is when we played, we play a game called team tag, um, which I really love because uh, we get kids, you know, I separate the kids who are really athletic um, and put them kids with maybe are not as athletic. Yeah. Um, and what you get is like uh, these kids who are really athletic become kind of protectors. You know, they, they're not going to let the other kids from the other team take down their, their kind of less developed, players you know what I mean I love that type of teamwork um you know like we had a kid who's just a shark you know he'll just he's just better than everyone and he like would go out of his way to make sure one of the kids on his team would win who was not as athletic he just basically run everyone down or protect that kid until it was the end of the game and like that kid was the last one standing it was great you know I love I love that type of stuff because uh you know it just shows like just great teamwork and you know, have an empathy. The kid knows he's better than everyone else, but he's going to take the time and make sure someone else wins, which I love, you know? Awesome. Yeah, that's a great way to tie in some of the things we talked about earlier with yeah. the uh, cycles, psychosocial aspect of it uh, for both. Having having a kid be there who's not as, not as athletic and potentially less confident, having individuals around there in the group setting that are willing to look after them and also uh, understanding, right. The more athletic individual being able to understand, like, yeah, I have to be a protector for, for a teammate in this instance. And um, that's really great. So thank you for sharing that. And Lee, going back to a little bit of the nervous system that you were talking about um, and how our system is the traditional system is set up to kind of inhibit that. I always really enjoyed, I think one of the first things you do at a conference or a clinic is like, get the tennis balls out, right? People are talking about uh, drop step or fall step. And you're like, Hey, all right, I want everyone to line up behind this individual. I'm going to drop this tennis ball and watch their feet. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then maybe some of the um, games that you like to do with individuals and the parameters to be able to manipulate parameters to then create those. Like I think of the box drill, right? You have a very confined and small, and then you start to make it bigger or vice versa. Can you talk a little bit about those drills? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Back when I was in college, uh, I, I was I played basketball in college, and uh, I can remember one preseason conditioning. We had a coach that would you know put us on the baseline and blow the whistle, and you got to run the court, and we would take off because we always had to start in a defensive stance, athletic stance. We take off and blow the whistle after a couple of steps. No, 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 go back, do it again. You guys did it wrong. You're all, you know, you you stepped backwards, and so we did it again. And I I was a captain. So after like the second time, he blew the whistle and I said, coach, what do you mean? I was stepping backwards. He goes, you guys take off and you're doing a fold step. And I played football. So I knew what he meant by fold step, but I didn't feel myself stepping backwards. It wasn't like a thoughtful process of uh, moving my center of mass back. So anyway, that back then, this was about 1987, 1986, I started watching more film. And I noticed my, I watched myself because I'm thinking, okay, if this is how I got to see it. And I noticed my feet consistently repositioned and we have different names like a plyo step, which is behind the frontal plane or a hip turn is in front of it or directional, so whatever. And I noticed Michael Jordan did it. You know, my seventh grade kids in phys ed did it. 
Gail Sayers, who played at a time, didn't have guys like us, did it. So I'm thinking, okay, and this is what I'm talking about, where the nervous system drops clues. I just picked the clues up. I said, all right, that's obviously what we're trying to do. Then I started to learn about kind of the fight and flight response, the sympathetic nervous system, protecting ourselves, escaping danger or attacking. And that's what happens. And it happens for many reasons, you know, none less important than the elasticity or the reactivity of that movement. It allows us to be quicker and use stored energy to move. To a young kid, they don't care about that. They just know having their feet glued to the ground isn't good, you know, when they're trying to be quick. So those repositioning steps are what our central nervous system gave us to protect ourselves. That's an escape or an attacking uh, strategy to be able to get somewhere. Now, if we use it in sports, which isn't usually life or death, um, unless some phys ed classes you see, it could be life or death, <laughs> depending on who's in the class, right? But we, we want to let the kids react and move freely. When we take that away from them, and tell them they can't, you're actually inhibiting the body's best strategy to move quickly, to put it you know, simply. And so we don't wanna allow that to happen. Now, you mentioned those box drills or various drills where maybe you point at a cone or you, you, know, you do this or that and the kid has to react and move, which I would call either a tier one or a tier two or a tier three, depending on what the movements are involved. When we start doing that, we can actually control the movements we want. So let's say we did a five by five box and I put the athlete right in the middle and I wanted to really work on them uh, disassociating their hips and retreating back. Let's think of a middle linebacker having to drop back into a zone, you know, or a basketball player having to open their hips. I can now control that, but it's still random in that controlled environment. And then I can open it up and say, okay, now you can either go to any four of these cones. Now it's a little bit more random. Then we can take those away and we can play tag or we can play, I can toss a ball and now they got to they gotta go chase the ball. So taking a controlled box setting or two cones, just put two cones out, got to go right or you got to go left. That's a tier two. You don't know which one to like point, but their movement is very specific at that level. Then I start adding variety by putting more cones, maybe a triangle. Then I add the fourth box and I can actually add correctives to that. So I can say, hey, this athlete really has a hard time pushing quick off that left side. No medical issue there, no sprains, nothing. They're just maybe not as coordinated because they don't do it enough. So now I can drive that pattern. So that's how it feeds us into being able to take this random movement, but controlling it enough to get a correction out of it. So that's kind of how we can add it. And then eventually you can go to the Z ball, which allows them to just read and react and move from there. And I've always talked to my athletes about the greatest skill that you can develop is reading. The ability to read what's happening and make a quick planned decision to go get that. Because once we do that, now the hip turn, the plyo step, all that, that just becomes the vehicle or the conduit to get you to finish that particular task. That's the thing. So it's like a subskill of the major skill. Like I might quickly reposition, but what do I do after that to go get the drop shot or to go get the bunt? <clears throat> What's the skill? It's probably acceleration. So that's how we can kind of work those random drills from a little bit more controlled setting into pretty vast patterns.
Yeah, great commentary. Thank you. And I always appreciate your posts on anything related to baseball and base stealing <laughs> and kind of the argument I can remember when I was, I remember so vividly being like 11 years old and having my co my baseball coach here teach me how to steal a base and like, you got to swing, you know, your left leg over your right leg. And that's the first thing that has to move. And then, you know, you see videos of Billy Hamilton and, and Ricky Henderson and see some of the things that you're sharing. And I'm like, and I was pretty good at stealing bases. I like to think, but I was like, it doesn't make sense in my head. So, so thank you for that. And this question is for Jeremy, when you're in the process of bringing in new athletes to train, how do you educate the parents or spoke or sport coaches on what you're doing and how do you get them on board with the long-term approach to the training and saying, Hey, this may not look like the other training that other programs do in this. This may be a better approach than playing one specific sport year round. Cause I imagine you hear some of that. Yeah, I get a lot of that. Um, you know, I think what, what I get is what a lot of times I get is, uh, some athletes come in with their parents and they're sort of at this, um, I don't want to say crisis point, but almost like they were probably really good when they were younger. And now they hit a point when they're a little bit older, maybe starting to hit puberty, they've grown a little bit awkward and all of a sudden, like they're not as athletic and they're not doing the things that they did when they were on the field. Um, you know, when they were younger. Right. And so then they seek out, it's like, all right, well, the sport itself is sort of carried us far enough. Now oh, we're, we're look, we look slow. So we're going to go find a guy who's going to help us get faster. Right. And then I get, I get those type of um, questions all the time. Um, and so what I try to tell them is that, uh, you know, we're going to do a bunch of general, general things. We're not going to, it may not look like say it's soccer. We're not going to, it's not going to look like soccer. You know, it's not going to, not going to feel like soccer. But the uh, activities we're going to do, we're going to try to build build you up from the, you know, we're going to try to improve your balance and improve your ability to stop and start. We're going to improve your strength. We're going to improve, you know, like Lee was just saying, we do a lot of drills just the same, like being able to read another a, a defender or offensive player, try to uh, teach them what creating space is. Because, I mean, does it, no one ever says that stuff that when you're a kid, like how to create space or how to close space. But we try to teach them those things just so they have that idea in their head. Um, and, and kind of give them a broad view of what athletic development um, kind of really is. Because I think when you do get those athletes who specialize in one sport, they don't realize that you can do a bunch of general things to help bring up your sport to get better, you know? So I see that with my own kids too. Like, you know, my oldest, my oldest boy, you know, when he was young, uh, you know, maybe fifth, sixth, seventh grade, he was playing lots of different sports and developing those skills, but sort of physically – he wasn't there yet. So he looked pretty much pretty average. Right. But then once he got hit puberty and he found a weight room at the same time, which is a great time to really start to train when your body's growing at this rapid rate and you start to like take on strength training and get serious. Like you can almost double what the, you know, what I could do right now because the, the kids just get stronger and so much faster, so much, so quick. He was now able to express those skills that he developed when he was a kid so much more. And he went from looking like an average kid to above average athlete because he's all of a sudden has the physical body to, you know, to kind of use those skills that he has. And so those are the conversations that I have with the parents is that, you know, we just need to get them, you know, I, I go back to the phys ed side. Some of them look like I'm, I, I can't, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there's some parents that look like, look at me like I'm crazy when I tell them like, mm -hmm. we're going to be crawling on the ground and 
And I'm like, well, you know, let's take your daughter right now and see how long she can hang on a bar. And it, you know, sometimes 10 seconds tops, 15 seconds, you know, I mean, I'm like they should be, have the structural integrity and the strength in their hands and their shoulders to be able to hang on a bar longer than that. Right. So I try to show them these different exercises and how the, these general movements and general skills will kind of build a better foundation for them to be, to be, uh, so for them to excel and go to a higher level at their particular sport. Um, luckily in this town, like where I'm in a small town, uh, in our high school, you know, like my, all, all my kids play three sports and a lot of their friends play at least two is because our school wouldn't be able to survive the yeah. sports program. The sports, the sports program wouldn't survive unless we had multi-sport kids. You know what I mean? So I can tell you right now, all, most of our varsity football players are our best varsity basketball players. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, we do get a fair amount of kids who play multiple sports. Um, but one town over is a big school, lots of kids at the school. And almost, I can tell you every kid there probably plays one sport because if they don't put the time in for that sport, they're probably not going to make their team. So it's an interesting thing. And then literally the schools are like maybe a mile and a half apart. Um, but the size of the school dictates what kids can play, which is wild. And that's why I always told my kids, I think, you know, it, the beauty of being in a small school is that you guys have just this great opportunity to do so much when you're, when you're younger. And I'm, and I, and, and, you know, you guys can be good at three sports rather than having to do one thing all the time. And who knows, like, we don't know, you know, you, maybe you get to play in college, maybe you don't, but you're going to have a great time, you know, growing up in this town and, and playing, the, playing the sports in your high school. Amen. You mentioned hanging on the bar as kind of like a yep. quick assessment to maybe create some buy-in from the parents or even the athlete. Is there anything else that you like to use almost like right off the bat as like a, Hey, this is, this is what we need to be working on. Well, yeah, you can, uh, you know, I, I stole, um, uh, Joel Smith and, uh, Tommy John and like those guys, you put someone in a, like an isometric lunge and you can tell pretty quickly, like kind of what their level is. Uh, they start shaking and 10 seconds in, they start shaking, leaning forward. They look at you like with these eyes, like, what are you doing? And I, you know, their legs start burning, you know, so it's silly things like that, but even like, just like, I want you to stand on top of this box and balance on one leg touch the ball to the ground and bring it overhead five times without being able, without falling over. And I can, most kids fall right over. I was working with a bunch of kids last night that I had that were new. Um, and we did that drill and almost every one of them fell off the box. You know, it's a little short box. It's not big, but you know, they, they could not stand on one foot for more than 10, 15 seconds. And then when you're asking them to kind of move on that one foot forward and back or side to side, you know, they struggled. So, you know, those, those, those are all clear signs to me that, um, you know, they probably too, do too much of their sport specific work and not enough general work. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And Lee, do you experience any pushback on your training? You've carved out a pretty big niche in speed and agility. And it seems like a lot of parents actually naturally understand the value of that. Uh, yeah. what kind of educating do you find yourself doing? Oh yeah, for sure. Because First of all, I do a tremendous amount of strength training, even though that's not what gets promoted and stuff like that. But because I understood the value of a niche and and being able to uh, create awareness of that specific niche years ago. But I, I'm a huge, huge fan of strength training as like Jeremy talked earlier, strength training is a very diverse um, skill set, not just taking a bar or whatever. But anyway. The, the biggest issue that I run into with parents is like if when a parent's pick pick up their kid, 
they're like, well, geez, they don't look like they were that tired. Or the kid said, yeah, you know, it wasn't really that hard. Um, I learned a lot. I moved really well. I did stuff, but it wasn't that hard. So my education process is getting them to understand we're, if we're trying to enhance a skill, there's, there's a certain um, level of uh, energy they have to be able to have. And so if I'm constantly fatiguing them and they no longer can perform the skill the way we want, that's detrimental to what you brought them to me for. Because you didn't bring them. Most people don't bring athletes to me, you know, because they say, hey, they have to, you know, be in better shape. It's like they're too slow. The coach says they can't defend very well. They can't move or they can't jump very high or they can't do this. So I'm like, okay, if that's the goal, then this is what we have to do. So that's my um explaining that I routinely have to do. I'll have, I had a dad not too long, a couple of weeks ago, I remember, dropped his son off and said, oh yeah, punish him, boy, make him work. And I'm like, sorry, you're going to be disappointed because that's not what we're here for. It's a, you, I, and it's funny because he kind of laughed. I said, if that's what you wanted, you got a house, he can run around your house until you want him to stop. You don't have to bring him to me to do that. I said, if you want him to get faster, quicker, change directions better. That's what we're going to, we're going to develop here. So that's the big thing. And then going back to Jeremy's point, sometimes it doesn't look like what they expect it to look like. It doesn't look like Sunday afternoon NFL guy making this move. It looks kind of play-like. It looks kind of silly and messy. And I'm like, that's exactly what the brain needs. It needs that messiness to solve that problem. And that's more valuable than a restricted drill where they only do one thing and, and they got to get used to it. So I've, I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, hey, this is what we do. If you're not interested in it, that's okay. I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm going to educate you, but I'm not going to fight you. And, and then we just move on. So it's, uh, you know, the battles are always going to be there though. Um, I will say that like having to, having implemented like a youth athletic development program years ago, I now have like a pretty good transition from yeah. like the youth training into sort of more organized sort of training. So like basically when the kids hit around grade six, seven, they kind of go, they kind of age out of the, um, of the youth type stuff. Not that they want to, they still like to do that stuff, but there's a lot of kids that see the older kids training and they start to hit a maturity level where they want to try that stuff. And so I've had a really good, like, transition with a lot of kids going from sort of one program to the next because they get a little bit older and then they're like all right well i don't want to i don't want to do these you know things that the younger kids are doing today i want to you know i, I want to try some strength training or, or uh you know some sort of speed training whatever it is but they see the older kids do that stuff and and they want to try it and so that's kind of how we transition kids in from one program into the next which has been really nice since like the, the parents are already on board the kids are already coming to the gym and they know it's a good thing and that you know just just from like a movement and exercise standpoint right um and then the kids get a little bit more serious and they want to continue on and so they kind of move on to the next thing in our program and you know what's great about that uh, jeremy and and you know mike and gabe is the it's the closest it's the, the closer you can get parents to understand the martial arts model because that's the one physical model they don't question that you have to go from a white belt to a yellow to you know to eventually if you go long enough over 3 plus years to a black belt but in our company or anybody's company it's not uncommon for them to say hey my kids got 5 weeks and they need to be a lot lot faster in 5 weeks and I'm like, 
you know, I just, yeah, I can, I can help a little bit, but there's too many factors in there. But if you give me three, four years, you'll have a really good moving athlete if you just are patient and go in. We don't have to explain that in martial arts, but we do have to explain that in our setting. And so I always try to tell people, if you can develop like a, a hat system or a color system or a t-shirt, you know, you're a white shirt, then you go to, you know, if you can do something like that to say, hey, you got to have these skill sets to, to be able to earn this. And it can be fun. It can, you know, it could be, you know, uh, you know, kind of some random stuff in there, but that's one way to keep them looped into it. You know, otherwise the six week program is what they want, you know, and that's not at all what we want as long-term development uh, professionals. That's a good point. I've never thought of it like that, but like receiving something to show that, hey, you've pushed on to the next level could be, you know, super beneficial in our setting. You guys both touched on it as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, when athletes start with you guys and then transitioning into their next program and then like youth are seeing the older kids do this. I'll start with Jeremy first, but this question is going to be for both you guys is for your long term athletes that you guys had for many years. What are the biggest changes that you guys notice in their development? It might not be physical. Maybe it's more mental. They're more focused, psychological, or the way that they handle themselves. But from your perspective, over the course of those years, what have you? What do you guys start to see in your athletes? Uh, I, you know, I've seen it all. I, I've had kids who are real pain in the asses when they were like in fifth grade, and then. <laughs> And, you know, they, they stayed with us. And, and by the time they were juniors, like they were super likable kids. And then you realize it was just, they were just young and energetic. And, you know, they just, that's, that's just all the whole part of growing up at the time. You can, you can, you know, say that they're, you, you don't like this kid or, you know, he's the behavior problem. But the reality is, is that just, that's the whole part of, 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 you know, you know, maturity and maturation. Right. So I've had that, uh, you know, I've had kids, I can't tell you how many you know, kids that I had who were um, slow and chubby and unathletic and boom, turned into, you know, mountains of muscle and fast and strong and went on to play college, you know, college sports. Uh, it's happened so many times over the years and it's really fascinating when I see it happen. Um, so I've had, I, I've, I've seen that and I've, you know, I can get uh, emotionally, uh, I can give you an example one of our athletes is, uh, heading off to Rutgers next year to play field hockey. And she started training with us. And at the age of 10, she was already suffering from, you know, anxiety attacks because she was really, she really loved field hockey, but she was playing a lot, you know, playing in tournaments and things like that. And she found the weight room and, you know, she told me like, this is the place where I like realized like, yeah, I can be anxious, but I have a place to go. And, you know, when I get stronger and I put more weight on the bar or I work really hard, those feelings seem to go away. And so for, for her, this place has been a beacon of, uh, you know, it's been a huge help for her through her, her, uh, those years. No, especially those, you know, for girls, 10, 11, 12, 13, those are, those are, those can be some tough years for them. And, um, you know, she expressed to me how much it's helped her, uh, not only become a better athlete, but just emotionally kind of being able to rein in those feelings that you have um, you know, anxiety and panic and things like that. So I've seen it all across the board, um, from, from physical to emotional, to mental, uh, you name it, um, beha behavioral, which is always the funniest one. So, and I'm Lee, I'm sure you've seen it as well. 
uh, sure. over the years. And, 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 and one of the things I love too is, uh, you know, when kids come back and I've, I've had tons of kids go away to college or grow up or, you know, just even get an email or a message or a text or someone's home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and they stop down just to say, hi, you yeah. know, that gives you a clue that uh, you had some sort of impact on their life. If they're taking the time out of their day to, to get in touch with you. Just really quick before we go to you, Lee, Jeremy, with that said, what's like your favorite group to work with as far as age? Is it, is it that, you know, after college full circle, wow, we've really seen them develop um, or is it, I want to catch them right when they're young and then I can see them progress. Yeah. I I really loved uh, working with the kids from basically like kindergarten. I have like one group of kids. It's like basically K through two, um, you know, and that's like, just like, Hey, let's go. And they just go, you know, if I set up an obstacle course or whatever, but then like that age group between like grades, maybe three to five, three to six, those kids really start to love sports and they really get into like competition. Um, so that's also a fun age as well. And they understand more so you can throw more things at them. So I, I really love like that. Those, those basically, and then the, the next transition is going into like junior high that basically K through eight. I really love working. Not that I don't love working with high school kids. That's awesome too. Um, but I love, I really love those transitional years as I think like, you know, if you get a hold of them at that time, the, the sky's the limit, you know, you can do so much with them over, over the, that time period. You know, and you can, like, I think Lee said something out earlier about developmental windows. Um, you know, that's the golden age. Those, the, that basically that, that K through, through eight, you're going to see so many changes. And uh, if you give them the right stuff at the right time, you're going to see huge benefits down the line. That's awesome. Lee, over to you. Same thing. What yep. are you noticing throughout um, your athletes that are transitioning from year to year? And then your favorite age group as well. Sure. Absolutely. Um, first of all, I don't have to touch on much. Uncle Jeremy did it perfectly with the emotional stuff. That's so fun to see develop. It really is. Um, the one thing that I always enjoyed if I have athletes. So back when I had my original speed academies in New York, there wasn't a lot of competition because we didn't have a ton of like travel sports. Uh, it was starting to come in, but it wasn't that big. And there wasn't a lot of other people doing kind of what we do now. Um, so I wasn't uncommon to get kids three, four days a week for years and years. I had a couple athletes, 14, 15 years, right? From young kids right up through college and a couple of them played professional and I had them right through that time. So I got to see a lot, but what I really enjoy to see is when they start to understand movement and they start to become more patient when we're doing an exercise or a, a specific drill or a skill set, they start to understand pace better. You know, sometimes I'll, we'll, we'll be doing an exercise and the athlete that are younger go a hundred miles an hour, but they're, they're like a train wreck at every turn, you know, and, and then they eventually understand a little bit of pace, a little bit of deceleration early enough to set up the change of direction is really the magic. And I can tell them that, but until they feel it and go through it, uh, they don't get it. So I loved watching I, in my head right now, I got a specific athlete that I work with uh, for years in New York. And I can remember when she came in and we got her introduced to all the different stuff we did. And it took time over the years and stuff. She ended up going on to one of the military academies in college. 
and it was a very, very good athlete. But when she first came in, it was like, I mean, she's bouncing off this wall and this wall and, and just out of control. But it was trying to please me or the coaches, you know, trying to, you know, go as hard as she can. And I said, sometimes pace is really important. Setting a move up, corralling an athlete, um, uh, setting an athlete up to, to think you're going to go one way and then going another way. Because we did a lot of scenarios like that. And to see them mature through that program, you know, if you look at some of the best running backs, they're patient. They allow the block to occur. Then they explode. The rookie runs right into his blockers, right? Runs right up their back. He's not patient or he runs around the block. So same thing in basketball. You get to get it goes 100 miles an hour. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't have any pace. That's what I enjoy seeing the development. And again, everything Jeremy talked about was so critical and important, but he, he nailed that. There's no need for me to sell. This kind of stuff was fun for me to watch as well. And when you start talking about groups, because I was a phys ed teacher as well, and I had K through 12, so you pretty much hit them all. Then I obviously trained the postgraduate type athletes. I, I always have a problem with this because I love when I'm with each group. And like Jeremy said, when I had my kindergarten through two, your primary grades, and then you get your, you know, three through four and then five through eight or whatever, you know, each one kind of brings something out in me because it's a new challenge. It's a new skill set, new energy. Like Jeremy said, the young kids are so fun because all you got to do is point, go. And they're, they're gone. They're like those cars you roll back until the wheels get energy. Boom, you let them go. They're so fun. And then the older kids, yeah, they come in with a little bit of an attitude. I'm too cool to, to do that until you start doing it. And then they love it. And I love that transition. So I can't really pick a group, sorry, but I, I just, I love each one that I'm with. Um, the only thing I would say when we start talking about the highest levels, I had a difficult time and I worked with many different professional level athletes in different sports. They're, sometimes they can be very inconsiderate of the process and what we have to do. That's probably what drove me out of that population most because I was heading in that way. I was working with a lot of professional athletes way back in the early 90s. And I was kind of, I got tired of that. That's the only thing, the exuberance of young kids is what attracted me to the, you know, to that process of long-term development. Yeah, I'm glad both of you found your way into that process of long-term development as obviously we appreciate having you on and seeing a lot of the resources that you both share. And I imagine this is a question for both of you. I imagine you get this from a lot of friends and family and especially probably new parents that you know. They say, hey, I want my kid to be the best athlete possible. And they know who you are, right? They know your experience as a coach and they know your, your influence in the developmental world. They say, I want my kid to be the best athlete possible. What do you think they should do? And it could be training related. It could be which sports should they play? What is your typical answer for that question? I'm going to start with Jeremy, then go to Lee. You know, I, I always tell them, especially if they're like, they're really young, you know, I, I meet parents that maybe have a, a one-year-old or a two-year-old and I tell them all the time, the first thing you should do is put them on the ground and let them figure out how to crawl and roll and get up and move around. Right. So that's like, that's the first thing you're literally, you're literally just, just, just by doing that, the, the infant is going to figure out how to navigate its world. Right. And that's like literally step one. And honestly, it doesn't, there's a lot of kids that you see uncoordinated these days that weren't allowed to do those things when they were like really, really young, you know, they were held too much or, you know, put in jumpers or, 
you know, all those things, like they just didn't get that uh, early exposure. Um, the other thing I tell, you know, play with your kids, constantly play with your kids, wrestle with them, throw them up, you know, throw them on the bed, flip them upside down. Like all that type of activity and movement is just like, it's like candy for their brain and their body. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, they love it. They, they, they seek out that stuff. You know what I mean? And it develops so many things, um, you know, eyes, ears, uh, strength, uh, you name it, balance. Um, so, so when they're, when they're young, you know, wrestling with them and doing rough and tumble play is probably um, one of the most important things you can do. And then when they do get a little bit older, going outside, chase them, right? That's the, they, kids love to be chased, love it. And you'll see, like, it's amazing, right? You, you, Lee talking about some of the steps that humans naturally have. You can see them do a plyo step, you know, or a sidestep or change direction really quickly when they're like two years old. They just do it because that's because we're humans. You know what I mean? And so by doing it to them when they're young and exposing them over and over and over again, they develop those skills faster in a time period when, um, you know, their bodies want to do those things, right? So I, I, we spent, obviously I'm just playing with my kids and we're just having fun, but you're also, you know, developing those uh, athletic skills or coordination skills that they can use not only in sports, but for the rest of their life, you know? So, you know, all the way up until from when they're born until, you know, they get into middle school or whatever, when they don't think you're that cool anymore, um, you know, play with your kids as much as possible. I think that's, I think that's really really where you uh, bring them everywhere, you know, bring them to the park to play, pick up hoops, bring them to the playground to climb on the jungle gyms. Uh, you know, there's lots of, you know, my program, uh, there's parkour now, you know, you can get kids involved in, uh, you know, simple gymnastics programs, things like that, but any type of like full body activity, that's like full body movement that allows them to jump and run and tumble and roll and, and things like that. That's setting up a great foundation for athletic development and sports for later on. Yeah, my brother has a one-year-old now, so I can, I'm just going to tell him, you know what, if you want to know what the best thing to do is, just listen to the KES with Jeremy Frisch and Lee Taft. Right, yeah. <laughs> and he'll know what to do. How about you, Lee? Uh, when yeah. you get that question, how do you answer it? Yeah, definitely. So if we're going to start talking about the kids that once they've reached that stage where they can start running and moving and playing a little bit, what I always try to tell them, first of all, because we did this with our kids, if when they're young, the different sports evolve the kids' coordination pattern, skill sets, tracing skills, tracking skills, and all. So youth soccer is critical for moving the body to get the feet in position to make a play. Most sports move the body to get the hands in position to make a play. So we want to develop that skill set. Soccer is great at it. It puts them on one leg reaching with the opposite leg. That's a great coordination pattern that will serve them really well. Then we had a thing in our area called uh, Ninja Zone. Ninja Zone is parkour, climbing, gymnastics, a little bit of, you know, kind of real basic martial art stuff. Not that they did any combative stuff, but they had everything you can imagine. And my son went through that for Oh, wow. My kids did, my daughters did gymnastics. Those develop manipulative skills of their body, um, strength skills that are lifelong skills like grip. Grip is associated with long, with life, how long we live. Um, the ability to get up off the ground, also a skill that survive, makes us survive longer. So those are all really important. Then I'm a big fan of getting into something like tennis 
a pickleball, badminton, racquetball, anything where they have to manipulate a, uh, an implement that is many inches to feet outside the width of their hand. That's a very important tracking skill that kids need to be able to develop and it helps them a lot. And I like ten, I love baseball, softball, but when they're young, they get more opportunities quickly with tennis or racquetball or soccer, because, or, um, um, you know, uh, racquetball or a pickleball because it comes back and forth quicker. Baseball, softball, sometimes, you know, it pitches, you got to get it back, you got to reset and you go. And the kids don't have the patience, but tennis, you can get it very, very quickly and you can use the soft foam ball. So that's a big one I'll push them on. I don't care if they play tennis, but I think they should be exposed to it. Um, and then obviously, um, I think they should get involved in some kind of track program because, and I'm not saying even for the distance running and all that, but just for the sprinting, learning how to jump into a pit, learning how to do all the, you know, mini hurdles, good track programs, youth track programs, use appropriate equipment, and they learn that maximal intensity of sprinting at a young age, and it should be appropriate distances. They don't have to sprint 100 meters. They could go 40 meters, right? They could go 60, depending on their age. And I think if you hit those four main areas, plus all the other, like basketball, I'm huge, and all these sports, volleyball is a really good manipulative skill. And I think what you do now as the athlete grows and gets into freshman, sophomore, and says, you know, I, I really like these two sports. I, I'm not, I, I like to play tennis with my friends, but I don't want to play for the team. That's fine. But they now have that skill set, and now they become a parent armed with a knowledge that's gonna be valuable to help their kids. And we specialize kids, they can't help a kid how to play baseball or softball if they never picked up a bat or never threw or never caught it because we don't get it anymore in phys ed like we used to. So, so that's what I would do. I try to get them on those. That's what I always encourage parents. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I hit my, my hand hit my thing. But see, there's coordination right there for you. <laughs> I, just, I just ripped my earlobes off. <laughs> So those are the skill sets that I like to have developed in a natural sport. And those, those different sports help that. Um, Lee, you're gonna love this story. When I was a kid, we had a park, probably 50 yards from my house, tennis court, you know, double tennis court. And we had like a uh, WWF belt that we had in the neighborhood and we played tennis. All the yeah. kids would play tennis. And if you won for the day, you got to take home the belt and you were like, <laughs> you were champion, you were champion of the neighborhood. And, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> and we did it for, and it, it actually, the older kids had set it up. It was the older kids that actually started it, but it like trickled down and they sort of got bored of playing and it got passed on to us, the younger kids. And so it was like, sort of like this generational thing where like once we, one kind of group got bored with yeah. it and did something else, we'd give it to the other kids. But like, it was great. Like I'd come home and I have my championship <laughs> belt because I won, I won tennis for the day. And, uh, you know, it was, we had so much fun. And I can tell you though, like out of the group of kids, um, all of us in the, in the neighborhood, like I, you know, I fell into football and stuff like that, but we actually had a kid who, you know, stuck with it and ended up playing tennis and, uh, you know, tennis in high school. And then he became a tennis pro and teaches, you know, today, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So pretty funny. I love, I love having that belt. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Does the belt still exist? Is it still being passed down to this day? no, you know what they uh unfortunately they took out the uh tennis court and put in a water park for the kids. Um <laughs> yeah, they they did a number on that park. It used to be great. We had lights and we had um 
you know, it was another thing too, is like the, the, the playground there was set up in the, in a way that like each activity. So like the jungle gym was over in one part of the, of the park. And then in order to get like to the swing, you had to run 20 yards to the next part of the park. And then to get to the slide, it was another 20 yards. So it was like this big circle, like a circuit. Yeah. So you were, when you wanted to play on those implements, you had to run to each one. And now these parks, if you see in playgrounds, there's just like this one, like big mass, stupid yeah. thing, that's super safe. And the kids can't fall off. And, you know, the slide, whenever you see kids going up a slide, you know, they're bored, bored to death of going down it. Right. So like the parks today are just not what they used to be, but yeah, it was so it was like the playground was set up and there was a basketball court and there was a tennis court. And so every day there would be kids from, you know, high school kids playing hoops to, adults playing tennis to kids running yeah. around the park you know what i mean and unfortunately they decided to to like everything else it's too much of a liability and and now it's a water it's a splash pad which is you know fun for a two-year-old for about 10 minutes and then yeah it's about it so yep all right here's a, a little bit of a fun question real quick um i'm curious to hear you guys answer because when you ask strength conditioning focus like equipment it's always like barbell kettlebell but from your guys perspective if you had three to four pieces of favorite equipment used at the youth athletic development level what would you pick and why lee we'll go to you first all right well i definitely i'm a fan of uh like tennis balls z balls because of all the things you can do with them manipulating the athlete's movement so i, I like those types of uh, types of things now um I'm also a fan of any kind of, we used to call them a buck, okay? Jeremy uses mats, he sets up and they, they, they do like a, a hand plant or a sit through or something like that with a mat. We used to have, the, it was a buck. It looked like a big loaf of bread, right? But it was pretty big. And you could do stuff. Those were, when, when I taught phys ed, even if I was doing a different unit, a lot of times I would use that as a warm-up implement. And I think those are great. We, when I had my facilities, I didn't have a buck, but we used boxes like Jeremy did and we'd vault over because I think that's a, a fabulous skill uh, to do. And then, you know, I, I would say probably something like a, um, depending on the age of the athlete, um, I know that the agility ladder gets poo-pooed a lot by people, but when you understand its value and what it can do for especially young kids and all the different skills you can do on it from hands to feet to, to balance to, you know, reactive games we use on it and stuff. I think that's a safe, quick tool that can transport. Because if I use a Z-ball out on a football field, it doesn't work but I can use a ladder anywhere I want. I can pull a ladder out and I can do a lot of stuff with different kids, different ages, even adults, I can do stuff with them. And I know it's not, people say, well, it doesn't teach speed. Well, no kidding, all right? Holding a dumbbell in my right hand doesn't teach speed either, but it has value to something, right? So we just have to understand what it is. So those would be the things that I, I kind of have. I'm very simple, very, very simple. I use cones, medicine balls, bands, and, and Z-balls, and that's it. I don't use a lot of stuff. Love it. Thanks, Lee. And real quick, before we trans transition over to Jeremy, Lee, it was mentioned in the chat by one of the participants about getting a link to the multinational study um, So if, for the research. So if we were able to grab that, we can blast it out. That'd be uh, much appreciated. Thank okay. You. And I, I don't have a link because I got that study, gosh, 20 years ago or so. And it was Loggenborough University study on 
movement and learning. That's what it was. And I had it. It was a it was a hard copy. I never had a link to it. But we if you type in Lagrenberg University at the in the UK, um, and that it might be able to pop up. And I'll see if I can find it and get it to you. Perfect. Thanks so much, yep. Jeremy. Over to you for three to four pieces of favorite equipment. Uh, I would probably use um, every day. I probably use a uh, pool noodle extensively. Um, you know, they're soft and they're they're light implements, and so like a lot of times we'll use them where like I you know swing it at a kid, and I'm gonna when I swing it high, he's gonna duck, or if I swing it low, he's gonna jump over it, so we can do some kind of reactive movement type stuff. Um, and so, you know, and then you can use it as, uh, you know, uh, we use it for tag, you know, we cut them in half and use them for tag. So the kids have a little bit more reach and extension. So, uh, I probably use those quite a bit. Um, crash mat is a huge one. Uh, I have a, a big one that like, you can't move anywhere, but I have a, a smaller one that's about six by six that I can like stick, I can stuff in my car. I can take it outside and do that. So. It's just a lot. It's a it's a nice implement to um, allow kids to land, you know, soft soft space to land and do different types of like rolls or dives or uh, front handsprings and things like that because we do a lot of those things here. Uh, and the kids love to like, you know, I'll throw a football and they dive and catch and so you can practice manipulating your body a little bit and not have to worry about hitting the ground really hard. Um, you know, and then obviously when they get older, you know, on a football field or something like that, they don't really care. That's all part of the game. But when they're younger, you can practice those skills and, and not worry about you know, hitting the ground hard and getting hurt, et cetera. So that's probably my other my other big one. Uh, just like Lee, tennis balls are huge. You know, we throw them off the wall, just, you know, throw them in the air to catch, bounce them off the ground to catch, bounce it, try to catch it at its highest point or on its way down. Uh, you know, we use them to do sprints where I throw them and the kids chase them down. I try to catch them on one bounce. You know, we all roll them at the wall and the kids have to beat. Basically, we have a crash mat up against the wall. And so I'll roll the tennis ball and they race the ball and try to get to the get to the wall before the ball does. Or they have to like dive and stop the tennis ball from hitting the wall. And so that's always a that's always a huge hit because um, the kids, you know, they just they if the, if the mat in the ground is soft enough, they'll, those kids will sell out. You know, they'll go for it. They'll, they'll dive. You know, they'll do anything they can to stop that ball from hitting the wall. Um, yeah, so tennis balls are always huge gator skin balls. Cause we play some dodgeball, you know, or do different drills where, um, you know, maybe some baseball, like we play pickle a lot where the kids have to run back and forth between bases and not get hit by the ball. So the gator skins really come in handy there. Cause not only are they soft, if you get hit, but they're easy to catch with like younger kids, things like that. And I love it. Cause I can fire the ball as hard as I can. And, and, you know, not have to worry about, especially with my own kids, I have to worry about them getting hurt and I can just, <laughs> I can just unleash it on them. So, and they love that stuff. They, they, they want you to, to go hard. You know, they want to, they want a challenge. Um, so and it's, a, it's really fun when the high school kids will basically jump in and do some of the stuff with the younger kids. Um, yeah. So I would say, uh, you know, pool noodle, crash mat, tennis ball, and uh, gator skin balls are kind of my go-tos. Uh, you'll always probably find those things in my car. Um, you know, if I ever do stuff outside or, you know, summertime, you'll find all those type of uh, things in my car to do the, any activities outside, um, you know, when the, when the warm weather's here. Yeah, thank you. Those are great answers. I, I love the pool noodles. I remember I stole that from uh, Nick's status at UIC, called them ninja swords. 
which was a great name for it too, because the kids love it immediately. If it's called Ninja Swords, like who doesn't want to be a ninja? But I remember we use it as a warm up for our basketball practice. You guys talked a little bit earlier about the monotony of kind of training and warm ups. And we use that for a warm up. And our head sport coach was like, What are you doing with the guys? <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, he's got his phone out recording it, being like, I got to send this to all the other sport coaches. I love this. <laughs> then the next day, it's like, Hey, can we do Ninja Swords again for the warm up? Like, so. Uh, you know, you guys are laughing along with, I'm sure you've had a similar experience. So the pool noodle is a huge one. And uh, that's a great one. So shout out Nick Zestoutis for that. So last question we have for you today, we want to be respectful of your time today. It's something we like to ask all of our panelists that join us on the KES, but let's start with Jeremy and we'll go to Lee to finish up. What does your own training look like right now? Like Jeremy, are you diving on the ground too? Are you, are you uh, rolling around and crawling or and uh, what does your training look like? Is it something specific? Or are you experimenting constantly? Yeah, I usually just kind of do what I want. I, I train, you know, as a college athlete, I was really into strength and conditioning and lifting heavy weights and power cleans and Olympic lifts when I played. But, you know, over time, that stuff beats you up too. As much as it does improve your performance, there's a kind of a, eventually there's a drop off on your body and, and it can kind of beat you up. So I, I don't do that stuff as much anymore. Um, I definitely spend maybe a couple of days a week, my first 10, 15 minutes of a warm up. I'll crawl on the ground. I'll roll. I'll do forward rolls, backwards rolls. I practice handstands. I climb on the bars and tang, uh, you know, try to shimmy right and left, uh, try to hang from one hand, which I'm terrible at. Um, but I definitely do those things still, uh, at least a couple of weeks, a couple of days a week. Um, and I usually alternate, although I don't like it, I feel a it, for whatever reason, like going for like a 20 minute jog, 25 minute jog, just up top, just makes you feel good. Doesn't always make my body feel great, but if I move around after and stretch and do some things, I usually feel good. So I usually get a couple of days of, of a, sort of a long distance run. And then I'll alternate those days with like maybe a sprint session. Uh, you know, my knees, one of my knees kind of bugs me a little bit. So I'll run it uphill seems to feel better than running on the flat ground. So I'll do some, I'll do some hill sprints. Um, you know, whenever the kids are down here, I'll jump in a game. We'll play dodgeball or pickle or whatever. And, and I'll, I'll do that stuff. And then when it comes to strength training, uh, I do a lot of isometrics, isometric push-up, lunge. I love chin-ups. I do a lot of like chin-ups and stuff on the rings where you have to, you can flip over and do different things like that. Just, to <clears throat> just to mix it up. And, uh, you know, I, I literally do like a push, a pull, uh, some type of single leg work maybe and some type of work for like my hamstrings like a glute ham or a kettlebell swing it's like it's literally that simple and I just try to do something every day um stay active and, and move so I wish I had this really big time training program but I, those days are long gone yeah. I pictured you looking like Vince Vaughn in old school like with the, on the rings <laughs> yeah. man. still still holding oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh Lee how about yourself uh, I know yeah. you're demonstrating, you're putting a lot of videos out there. So that's got to count for something at the very least. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I do the movement stuff, you know, I do my little quickness stuff and I just, just to, just so that I can continually do it. You know, I, I feel like as long as I'm still doing some of the movement and shuffles and change of directions and basic jumps and all, but in terms of strength training, I'm kind of like Jeremy where I just kind of do what I feel, but what I try to do is every week is a new, so I'm a, Jeremy mentioned pull, I'm a huge pull up, chin up, all different variations. I do those all the time. So one week I'm going to do a lot of body weight based stuff. So straps, pull ups, dips, you know, I, I've always, since I was a little kid, I've done dips and pull ups. So they never bothered me. I love them. 
And so I'll do, you know, single leg stuff, body weight squat. And then the next week I do all bars. Everything I do is with a full Olympic bar. So whether it's a squat, a strict press, you know, a maybe a clean, uh, bent over rows, you know, whatever, landmines. I do stuff only with a bar. And then the third week is my dumbbell uh, routines or complexes or whatever. I'll do that stuff. And then I just keep rotating through. I do different things like that. And uh, sometimes I, you know, I'll mix those up a little bit, but that's kind of keeps me fresh at my age right now. I just want to keep moving and, you know, and feel good and, and be able to demonstrate with, for my athletes, you know, and, uh, and still feel good about it. I was just, uh, I was just sitting here looking at my wall of all my book and stuff. And I just found this little, Oh this goodness. Little, that's this little DVD <laughs> right here. For Lee, that's that's one of the originals. Yeah, Groundbreaking athletic movement right here, sitting right yeah. in front. Of that's about right. twenty years ago. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. That's fun. That's great. Well, uh, you know, we really appreciate both of you being on here today a big thank you to our attendees that join us live for the KES and and a huge thank you to the both of you like I said uh, Jeremy Frisch and Lee Taft these individuals are two of the best follows for long-term athletic development and we really mean that so please be sure to give them both a follow on social media Jeremy you can follow on Twitter at Jeremy Frisch and on Instagram at achieve underscore performance his videos are the best they really are and if you ever have the chance to see them on your timeline you know what we're talking about and Lee, you can follow on both Twitter and Instagram at Lee Taft. He's putting out great content consistently, including at-home drills. Do yourself a favor, follow both of them right now. You will not be disappointed. You'll be very happy that you made that decision. So this discussion will be publicly available on the Kaiser Fitness YouTube page, and the audio will be up on Spotify as well under Kaiser Education Series. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving holiday, and we'll see you in December.